0: Hey guys, that's Sarah, that's Stephanie, and welcome to episode 10 of Dead Time, Dead Time Stories. That's exciting, isn't it? Double digits. Double digits, queen.
1: Double digit, queen.
0: Welcome to episode 10, you guys.
1: It's about to get crazy. It's exciting.
0: Sarah is having a glass of absinthe, and I already had one. It's
1: big night, you guys. We're just, just, we're Just ready. tastes like licorice. We're ready to see some
0: ghosts. I know. We're hallucinating. Like, we're some gonna ghosts. go home and yeah, I was like, we're gonna see them spirits. No,
1: not at our house. Let's see oh, them we'll here. Let's see them here
0: before we go home.
1: I don't wanna That's take them fair. home. Fair. I don't
0: wanna <laughs> take them home. That's very, very fair. Um so yeah, it's episode ten. We're very excited. Uh, and we have a special thing that we wanna do for you guys. Yes. So, of course, if you wanna help us out, the ways the best way that you can always help us out is to rate, review our show, tell your friends, tell your friends to rate and review. Um, but reviewing us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on all those things is the best way that you can help us, like, without a doubt. Um, I don't and, know if
1: Stitcher does reviews. Okay. I don't think they do. Well. But Facebook. Let's throw out Facebook. You can you can write different. on. You know, I
0: looked at it. Doesn't it. it doesn't matter. Review- if you see it's this place that's, that's like, what do you think of this podcast you've been listening to? Tell it five stars. I love it. And tell us why you love it. And that's the best way that you can help us out. And so we're going to incentivize that.
1: Ooh, what are we going to do, Stephanie?
0: Oh, I was going to turn it over oh, to you for that. But I could tell them. We definitely planned this out, you guys. I asked. <laughs> um, so <laughs> so uh, we're going to get stickers. Um, and if you guys can review us and then screenshot your review, we'll send you a sticker.
1: Yep. All you have to do, guys, is go on to, again, like Stephanie said, iTunes, Google Play, Facebook, um, and leave us a review. Take a screenshot of your review and then send it to us. Slip into our DMs and DMs. let us know that you left us that review, or shoot us an I was email. Say, you can do
0: that on Insta. You can do that on Facebook, or you can email us at DeadTimeStories with a Z, all one word, at gmail.com.
1: Yep, send us those, and as soon as we get that from you, along with an address, so we know where to, where to send. send it. You have to be
0: comfortable giving us your yeah address, just yeah. so you know. And that's a, that's a stipulation that's part of it right there for you to get the sticker. I'm not going to meet up, up at and your bring house? you your goddamn sticker. I'm sorry. I don't know you. I might. If it's on my way to work. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why not?
1: I'll save a stamp.
0: Save a stamp. <laughs>
1: Delivered. No, we're I'll not going to I'll save that. Them.
0: I'll save that 39 cents. I don't know. Stamps are better more expensive than that nowadays. I can't remember the last time I mailed this uh, mailed anything. So. Oh yeah. I mean 99. Uh, the, I've, the last couple of things I've mailed would be a package, right? So I would go to the place and I would be like, "I'm mailing this package," and they're like that costs X amount of money. I can't remember the last time I like bought stamps and put a stamp on something. It's definitely been years.
1: I mean, I do, but I do that for work, anyways. That's a, a long. Then how round much about. is a stamp, Sarah? I mean, it's definitely like thirty-five to forty cents. You buy them in bulk. That's the thing, right? So and it depends on what kind of stamp you're getting. Are you getting a Forever stamp? Are you getting a first-class stamp? Priority Mail? What are we dealing with? Sure. Who knows? Send us your review, screenshot it, and we'll send you a sticker. Is it that three cent stamp that they
2: start,
0: you need every time they raise the postage, and you gotta add that to all the stamps? Because now all your stamps aren't good enough anymore. I don't know.
1: know. We'll figure that out once we have to send
0: out stickers. So if you want a sticker, review us, screenshot it, send it to us. Bitch, you'll get a sticker.
1: We'll get you a sticker and a handwritten note.
0: Well, that's, yeah. That was implied. I mean, I guess oh. maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows, we You'll just get just one. Throwing
1: stickers in an envelope. Putting a stamp on a sticker and putting it in the mail.
0: Writing nice things to you. Hey, buddy.
1: Hey, buddy.
0: Actually, what we're gonna do is we're just gonna write your address on a postcard and then stick the sticker to the postcard. <laughs> <laughs> then you gotta figure out.
1: You can't even right, use it right. You can't even
0: use it because uh-huh. it's stuck to the postcard. We'll be like, we didn't tell you we would send you a sticker like
1: one that you could use. You, here's
0: a sticker. We sent you. Po- we sent you two things. We sent you a postcard. And a sticker. And it I had a it, sticker on it.
1: Seriously, are you not happy with that? Is that not good <laughs> enough for you?
0: I said we'd send you a sticker. Didn't say it was going to be like for you to use. Jesus. No, we'll send you a sticker with the backing still on it so that you can peel the sticker off of the backing and put it wherever you like.
1: Maybe. If you're lucky. That That's, went on a weird tirade. <laughs> We're like. I'm feeling weird and it's, I don't it's think it's the absinthe. Abs-
0: abs- <laughs> <laughs> Girl, you fucked up on absence. I'm
1: not. Since. Oh, how am I supposed to read? That I ask that every day. Um, Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? (laughs) Stephanie, tell me about your ghosts. Sure.
0: So today I'm going to be talking about La Llorona, which is a bit of Mexican folklore. Yeah, it is, and we know this because
1: what did we watch last night? Well, and that's okay.
0: So Sarah asked me what I was talking about this week, and I told her I didn't want to tell her because I wanted to save it for the air. And then she was like, "Dirty," she was like, "Tell me, tell me, tell me." And I was like, "Well, because I saw it, and then I'll start talking about it." And then I was like, "It's gonna be folklore," and she's like, "Well, what kind of folklore?" And I was like, "Well, just don't do folklore. It's folklore from another country." Well, what country is it from? I was like, "Well, it's from Mexico." Well, I need to know because what if I want to do like La Llorona And I was like, "Mm." and she's like, "That's what you're doing, isn't it?" And I was like, "Yes," and she's like. Is it because of Coco? And I was like, bitch, save it for the air. <laughs> so. It's for Coco. It's not for Coco. So here's the thing. I was already very familiar with La Llorona, the song and the folklore, before I watched Coco. But y'all, I watched Coco this week and it was really good. <laughs> she
1: didn't just watch Coco. She marathoned it. I watched How many it, times did you watch it? Well, including
0: yesterday, three times. Because I watched it. The time I watched it and, like, you came home and I was watching it. And then I watched it a couple days later at work because I was, like, well, I want to put something on that, like, I've seen before because I was, like, doing journal building stuff, like, working my bullet journal. Um and so I was like, well, I'll watch Coco again because, like, the music was really good and, and, <laughs> and I liked it. Um, so I put it on again. And then I watched it yesterday because I've been trying – before I watched it alone at work, I was trying to get Christina to watch it with me. And she was like, I'm probably not going to watch that. And so I was like, okay. So then I watched it by myself. But then yesterday, Christina was like, okay, like, I'll watch it. I was like, yes, okay, I'll watch it again because I'm going to watch it with Christina. But yeah, if y'all haven't seen Coco, the Disney Pixar movie,
1: it's It's really good. It's on Netflix. You have Um, no
0: excuse. You have no excuse, which is why I gave in and watched it, and I uh, was—I think it might be my favorite like Disney movie that has come out since I've been an adult. Um. So not my favorite ever. I mean, I still it's really good. But like, I liked it more than I. I wasn't crazy about like Enchanted. Or I. I was gonna say Enchanted was the last one as a grown up that I was really like into. Tangled was okay. Princess and the Frog was okay. Um, Frozen was okay. I liked Brave more than I liked Frozen. Oh, Frozen was a
1: piece of shit. And send me all the hate emails you want. It's just, it's just really an overrated. In- in my, and I say this every single time, Frozen was just something for them to slap together really quickly, mm-hmm. get some Broadway voices, some and yeah, names. Yeah, it was like, people just went crazy because I didn't even sell. Just throw this little, like, Broadway thing together, and while we're doing that to keep the people happy, we're going to focus on what I really like, which is Moana. I yeah. really liked Moana. Moana, Moana. was good.
0: Quiet. Yeah. Um, I liked Moana okay. I liked Coco a lot, and especially, like, um... I like the Pixar movies and everybody likes them because they're really emotional, but I prefer the musicals. So I haven't been crazy. I like the Pixar movies, but I haven't been like, oh, I love that about any of them. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, I like Coco a lot because I like musicals and it's got, you know, I like that mariachi and ranchera music. I like that stuff a lot. Um, And I love Dia de los Muertos. Uh, I know... I know, like not a ton, but I'm like, I know a lot about like Mexican culture and um, my fluency with Spanish has gone down through the years because I haven't used it, um, but I used to be a much better Spanish speaker. <laughs> um, but I just think Spanish in general is a really, really beautiful language. Uh, and Coco was like really, it was I thought it was really great, especially as somebody who has like family that is like integrated family. So like not just like immigrant parents. Sorry, not just like immigrant parents, but the way like when you're raised like in an immigrant family, like that mix of like the English with the Spanish, like that was really cute to me. And you know, like we we keep singing, um, the world SB be familia, where I was just like, oh, so cute. Um, but yeah, I just really really like the music a lot. So that was. What brought La Llorona back into my mind, but it's not where like I learned about La. I already knew about La Llorona. Um, I mean they don't really tell you about La Llorona. right. Well, because and that we'll, wouldn't really fit. And in I'll talk Cocoa. about the song too versus like the versus the story of La Llorona. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so they ended up using the song in the movie, and it's the only song in the movie that's completely in Spanish because it's an old Mexican folk song. Um, and that song is in Spanish, and we'll talk about why you wouldn't ever want to hear it in English later on. Okay? Okay. So, but first we're going to start with talking about the folk story of La Llorona. So, um, La Llorona is the, sometimes they say the weeping woman because it's alliterative, but I usually say the crying woman. Um, So, it's a little Spanish thing, right? So, llorar means to cry um, and putting ona on the end of it is like the woman who's crying. So, La Llorona is is literally the crying woman. Okay. Okay. so the origins of the story like it's a really really old Mexican story um someone did research that said it actually had origins to like a German story from like the 1400s huh. um but it's like super old so it's been told for a really really long time um and it's folklore in Mexico so the the story for La Llorona is that there was this beautiful young woman named Maria and uh Maria was from a poor family in a rural Mexican village and she was spotted one day by a nobleman and he was stopped in his tracks by her beauty, right?
1: Oh, Maria. Maria.
0: See. Sí. So, <laughs> he was just he was just stopped, right, by like how stunningly beautiful Maria was. Uh, And he just had to have her. Right. So he like struck up a conversation and got to know her. And he was just very charming. And he had his, you know, his carriage that he was riding in. And he was rich. And he was rich. Right. Of course. He was a nobleman. (laughs) Right. So he was super, super rich. So obviously she was like swept off her feet. She was like, he's so charming. And he proposed to her immediately. He was like, Maria, like... Te para mi vida. Like, I need you for my life, mi corazón. Okay. So he's like, I got to have you. So and She's like, she like, doesn't even know my last name, right? She's like, you just know me as Maria. <laughs> so Maria
2: from the barrio. It's,
0: it's Spanish for neighborhood. I'm going to throw in a lot of Spanish Kinda. in this episode because I, I was like, this is me being special for episode 10. So-
1: <laughs> you are always special.
0: Mm, I don't like the wink that went with that. <laughs> so so. So, um anyway so maria was charmed and she's like you got it sir um so obviously her family was like pumped they're like oh my god you're marrying this nobleman like we're into it like maria si es necesito and she was like es verdad uh and his family was not having it right like they were uh whoa right maria maria from the barrio from the barrio (laughs) see like does she know jenny from the block but um (laughs) they're cousins right which i think I think J-Lo is actually Puerto Rican, but I'm not positive. But anyway, um, two different countries, you guys, just so you know. Yes. So (laughs) Maria, uh, her family was, like, totally down. And his family was like, you're marrying this poor girl. Like, we don't want to hear it. Um, But he was not having it. He was like, I love her. Like, we're going to build a life together. Like, you can't stop us. Like, Not going to happen. So they got married and they built their home, like, in a village away from his family because they didn't even want him, like, getting involved or, like, being dealt with. And so they got married and they have their home together. And eventually she gave birth to two twin boys. I don't know their names. Uh, we can call them Juan and Dada Juan. Um, Stop! But-
2: <laughs> Stop!
1: Did you write that joke down too? <laughs> no. Let no. me see your notes. <laughs> I did not write that joke down. Um,
0: <laughs> so, so, um, so anyway, so she had, uh, so she had twin boys, uh, and her husband was gone for work. Like he was traveling a lot all the time. And when he was home, he would come home and he would spend time with Los Ninos, with the boys. He wouldn't really, like, hang out with with Maria. He was, like, he's hanging out with the kids and then he would, like, go away again, right? And so she started to sense that he was, like, falling out of love with her, right? So then eventually um, his trips began to get longer and longer and he was away more and more until eventually he just didn't come back. He was gone and didn't come back.
1: Um, (gasps) So he, like, went out to get milk?
0: And like, well, he was just like, I'm going to work and just never, right? Oh. But yeah, daddy went for cigarettes and oh. Los Cigarillos. And <laughs> he, No, we I was going to say, he nunca, which is never, but then I was trying to remember how to say return. <laughs> yeah, he nunca vuelve. He never came back. So, um, <laughs> so <laughs> one so, day, okay. um, Maria is walking down by the river with uh, Juan and Ata Juan. And
1: I'm gonna come over there and smack you.
0: (laughs) So she's so she's walking by El Rio with uh with sus niños and (laughs) she saw a carriage go by um and the carriage looked really familiar and she's like, I know that fucking carriage and she like took a closer look and inside the carriage was her husband with a younger, prettier woman.
1: Of course. And in that Maria 2.0.
0: And in that moment, Maria flew into a rage, and shoved her children into the river and drowned them. That's an appropriate response. <laughs> immediately realized what she had done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Immediately threw herself into the river to try and drown herself. Okay. With her boys. Okay. With her children. Um. And it doesn't say whether or not, like, she died at that time. But uh, it just, like, she threw herself into the river to okay. try and drown
1: herself with her boys. Um, Do we know if the husband saw any of this? No. Oh, no. He was too far away in <laughs> the carriage. He was too far away, like, with
0: his new... with
1: Getting carriage Maria Dos.
0: So, yeah. So, some say... Um, so, now, right, her... Maria, her ghost... Um, Walks by the rivers at the nighttime, weeping and sobbing and searching for her children, okay? And she's doomed to do this for eternity, to look for her children. Some say that she was challenged at the gates of heaven over the whereabouts of her children, and they wouldn't let her in until she found them. (coughs) Do you want to have a vocal response to that? So some say she was challenged at the. Hold gates. on, hold on. Oh my God, Sarah! Action. Some say she was. <laughs> You're challenged. Wink.
1: <laughs> I li- I, at least I said you were special. You went straight <laughs> you
0: to challenge, you You're special. <laughs> some say she was challenged at the gates of heaven over the whereabouts of her children and wouldn't be permitted to enter until she found them. Aww. She's doomed to Earth for eternity to search for them.
1: And they're just playing an awful game of hide and seek with her. Oh,
0: no. <laughs> um, in some ver-
1: champions.
0: Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, <all> those <laughs> Um In some versions of the story, she kidnaps wandering children. Mis- oh, okay. Mistaking them for her own. Begging forgiveness and drowning them to take the place of her ah, real children.
1: What? <laughs>
0: <laughs> people, That's not I, fair. I, <laughs> people still claim to see her at night or late evenings walking the riverbanks, sobbing and searching for her children. Some believe that if you hear her cries, you should just run in the opposite direction to protect yourself, while others say if you hear her cries, you're already marked for death. Ah,
2: ooh. Right.
0: Um, and usually her cries are, ay, mis hijos, which means, oh, my children, or my boys, my, my sons. Oh, Ijo is, is... the male. It's the male, but also the... the You would use it for... If you were saying children, you could mean yeah. boys and girls with yeah. hijos. But she's like, oh, my sons, mm-hmm. I mis hijos. Mm-hmm. um, Which, and I was going to talk about the word mijo, too, because mijo is actually a conjunction of mi hijo. It means my son. Right, mijo. Um Fun fact. (laughs) There's a lot of that in Spanish. Um, I mean, there's a lot of that in English, too. I was like, conjunction junctions? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, So the the thing that really gets me about La Llorona that I think is, like, really, like, hilariously fascinating is the story is used by many Mexican parents, like, to this day, to keep their children from wandering around late at night. Makes sense. Or going out by the river. Or, exactly. And I was going to say, or from walking alone by the river. Right, exactly. Like, they still use this to, like, scare kids. Away from the river and, like, being alone at night, which I think is really, like, kind of hilarious that she's kind of, like, the Mexican boogeyman. Um, but I, but it's
1: terrifying that she's just, like, this screaming, crying woman, because we've talked about that a lot. I don't like it. <laughs> about how
0: terrifying I that is. I don't.
1: There's nothing worse than, yeah, like, a screaming, crying, hysterical woman. Um, so the character of La Llorona has been featured in many shows and movies,
0: both Mexican and American. Um. And as far as, like, shows in America, the examples that I have are she was on um, Supernatural, Grim, mm. and Sleepy Hollow are all shows that have used La Llorona as a character in them. Um, so from there, I was going to transition into talking about the song La Llorona, which is a Mexican folk song. Um, about 1940s, the composer Andres Tenestrosa popularized the tune that most people know today, Um uh, but singers change and make their own verses all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's like a bajillion different verses that you can find. Um, and different versions of the song you'll find that mix different verses from all over the place. But it's the same tune. Um, and that tune is really, really old. But a lot of the verses changed around um, the Mexican Revolution, which was 1910 to 1920. And the storylines differ in the song from like the sh- from the, the folk story. Um But with all the different versions of the song, the story in the song is different as well. So some versions of the song have them singing it as her lover who wants to leave, but fears what would happen if they left because she's always sobbing. And they're like, if you're like this all the time, what's going to happen if I leave? (laughs) Some people sing it as the lover that she haunts in death, wanting to move on, but they can't because she's haunting them and sobbing all the time. One of the most popular versions... Um, Oh, and some sing it as a song of unrequited love for a woman who's in mourning, like being in love with someone who, like, is just so morose and sad or being in love with, like, the weeping ghost and you can't have her because she's dead. Mm. Uh, One of the most popular versions of the song is by uh, Chavela Vargas in the 90s, uh, and she did a re-recording of it for Frida. So she was... um, already pretty old when she recorded it, because she actually knew Frida in real life, Frida Kahlo. They were actually really good friends, um, the woman who recorded this version. Um, And in the movie, when uh, Vargas is in that scene in the movie, which I've seen it because I like the movie a lot, (laughs) um, uh, she's basically playing a ghost and she's draped in black, um, which is a reference to the first line of her version of the song, which I've, there are other versions that use this line too, which is todos me dicen el negro Yerona, negro pero cariñoso, which means they call me the black Yerona. Um And uh, negro pero cariñoso means black but loving. So they call me the black Yerona, black but loving. Um, and another, oh, I mentioned this already. I was like, another way of interpreting it is that the person singing the song is in love with the ghost. Um, and I think that that's really cool. Ooh.
2: Um
0: so then I was going to sing a little part of the song. Okay. <laughs> and then I was going to tell you what it means, but I was going to talk about how Spanish sounds so much prettier than English. <laughs> so uh, so this is the, the lyric that I wrote down.
2: Todos me dicen el negro Llorona. Negro, pero cariñoso todos me dicen el negro llorona, negro pero cariñoso yo soy como un chile verde una picante pero sabroso yo soy como un chile I de mi, yo no, yo de yo celeste yo no, yo no, yo no, yo no, yo no, no, yo no, yo you yo not no, yo no, yo
0: Jared Taylor on the guitar, ladies and gentlemen. So that's La Llorona. So the verse that I sang to you, um, so I, in me, is like, oh, my, right, Llorona, mm-hmm. crying mm-hmm. woman. The azul celeste is of the blue sky. Um, y aunque la vida me cuesta even though it cost me my life, no no te quererte. It means I don't care. It's, I love you. Um, I give my love, or I give my life to love you. Um, And then one of the other verses, and it's not in the Disney version, probably because they were like, that sounds so dumb in English. But one of the other verses that sounds really pretty in Spanish is, um, Yo soy como un chile verde, llorona picante, pero saboroso. And what that means is, I'm like a green pepper, llorona, spicy but tasty. (laughs) (laughs) Picante. Para yeah, it's really good.
2: Spicy but tasty, right? Picante pero sabroso. I'm like a
0: green pepper. Como, como un chile verde. I'm like a green pepper.
2: I'm just a salsa, spicy but
0: tasty. Um, <laughs> fuck it. So, but that's just to me like another example of how like Spanish is like just a way more beautiful language than English because you translate that to English and you're like what? And the first time I heard that song. Like I said, I know some Spanish, so the first time I heard that song, I was like, I couldn't have heard that line right, because I think that person just said that they were a green pepper, and they were spicy but tasty, <laughs> and then I looked it up, and I was like, nope, that's that's a line in the song, <laughs> but like I said, because there are so many different versions and so many different verses, when I listened to the version from Coco. That line is not in there, and I'm like, probably because they were like, That's silly. Cut that line out. All the lines from the version in Coco are all about longing and yeah, and regret and sadness, and like, it's really beautiful, yeah. Um, but that's the story of La Llorona.
2: Oh, yeah, Yayarona.
1: Yay. Yay. I guess she, we should be like, oh. I'm Eva. Oh, Amy's <laughs> Amy, that's my cry, it's my weeping woman. All righty. So here's my story. So what are you talking about this week, Sarah? This week I'm gonna talk about uh, a crazy plane crash and I had never heard about this and I like stumbled upon it, I don't know somewhere um, and started doing some research on it today and I was like, this is crazy. So it's not necessarily like a haunting or anything like that, but this um, l- let me just tell you about what happened to these people. Sure. So this is the uh, Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571, right? And I also looked up to see if, like, anyone else had talked about this, and only one other podcast has okay, talked so about this. People
2: ate each other? I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: I mean, the,
0: there's, like, a famous plane crash where people ate each other, but that might be this one. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't it is, to steal it's your it's thunder. <laughs> I'm not going to tell it anymore. God damn it, Sarah! That's the whole
1: big... <laughs>
0: <sighs> That's what happens when there's a cl- crazy plane crash. That's not, what people not do. always.
1: Sometimes they just die.
0: If anybody lives, they eat each other. I have
1: four pages. <laughs> Fine, cut this part Full out. Full of recipes of how they cooked <laughs> each other. No, I don't have that. That's awful. Um, yeah, so this was a, uh, it was a plane that crashed, and people had to eat each other because they were out there for a really long time. But it's crazy. So it was a chartered flight, and also there were 45 people on board. Mainly, they were like, Teenagers that were a part of a soccer, soccer team, right? Soccer team. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like f- some parents and yeah. friends. Ugh. Just fucking. Yep. Yeah. I was like, not anyone who is able to survive in the Andes. So um, it crashed on a glacier at an elevation of 3,570 meters, which Damn. is 11,710 feet in the remote Andes. Among the 45 total people on board, 28 survived the initial crash. Oh. After 72 days on the glacier, 16 people were rescued. What this is, is it with story. you about
0: stories of people in the mountains where the people who lived the longest got the worst? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't know. I just like it, I guess. <laughs> I like stories where like they thought the worst part was over, but it just gets worse. Well, yeah, no. I think what brought me to this was number one. Yeah, they had to eat each other. But number two, they were there. <laughs> they were there for 72 days. Seven, that's so much time. That's
0: like two and a half months.
1: That like, Yeah, two and a half whole months. You're stuck awful. up there. In the fucking, they snow. were just like, this
0: is our life now. Like they had just accepted that that's where they were gonna, that's where they were gonna
1: die. So that's yeah. So oh here's where this, um, <laughs> yeah. So October thirteenth, nineteen seventy two. Also, this just happened in the seventies. October thirteenth, nineteen seventy two. The flight carrying nineteen members of a rugby team. It was a rugby, rugby? team. Okay. Of a rugby team, family supporters and friends originated in Uruguay and was headed for Santiago, Chile. Uh, While crossing the Andes, the inexperienced co-pilot who was in command mistakenly believed that they had reached Chile, despite instrument readings indicating differently. He turned north and began to descend downwards towards what he thought was the airport, and instead the aircraft struck the mountain, shearing off both wings and the rear of the fuselage. Uh, The forward part of the fuselage careened down a steep slope like a toboggan and came to rest on a glacier. Three of the crew members and more than a quarter of the passengers died in the crash. And then several others quickly succumbed to the cold and their injuries, right? So I could have talked a whole lot about what went wrong with the flight because there were a few things that went wrong. And again, your main pilot had made this flight multiple times. He was dealing with a co-pilot who was a little inexperienced and it was literally just like a string of him making just the wrong choices it's awful and so they originally left um on october 13th and then they had to land early at another airport because of weather and then when they got back up to fly again the you couldn't really see and so the co-pilot thought that they were there and they knew that the radio signal was weird so he was radioing and saying that they were landing wasn't getting a response and was thinking that that was normal he also apparently like turned not and not far enough Um, anyway, so yeah, he made a mistake and crashed them into the mountain and it knocked off both of the wings, basically cut the plane in half and threw them down into the glacier. So of the 45 people on the aircraft in total, three passengers and two crew members were in the tail section when it broke apart and they died. Two of those people, uh, were sucked out of the fuselage as it fell. And one of those who was sucked out actually survived the fall but stumbled down the snow-covered, oh, snow-covered no. glacier, fell into a deep snow, and was asphyxiated. So he suffocated. He survived he the flight. He in snow, And he suffocated. Sarah? His body was found by fellow passengers on the 14th of December.
0: He was the first one they ate. Because they were
1: still out there. They were like, he just... Oh, no, them. he wasn't. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but, yeah, I think that's fucking crazy. He got sucked out of the plane. He survived the fall, and was so far buried in snow from that that he couldn't get out. Um, So let's keep going. Uh, At least four four people in the front half died from the impact of the fuselage hitting the snow bank, which ripped the seats from their anchors and hurled them to the front of the plane. The pilot died instantly, and that co-pilot who did all this, I mean, mistake, who cares, was critically injured and trapped in the crushed cockpit. Uh, according to one of the survivors, he asks one of the passengers to find his pistol and shoot him. I was gonna ask I was gonna say he asked them to kill him, but the passenger declined
2: oh oh. Oh, my
1: God. So at this point, you know, immediately after the crash. give him his gun and let him shoot himself. Girl, I don't know what happened there. They I mean, like, obviously you he died. This? They're
0: like, you did this. I don't care if it's an accident. You're going to die a slow, painful death trapped in that cockpit.
1: Who knows? That's horrible. But I mean, also, if you think about it from the passenger standpoint. That passenger is like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I just survived this plane crash. Oh, my God. Look at all these people who are mutilated. What, you want me to kill you? No, I just survived enough trauma. Like That's why I'm like, I'd give him his gun and let him do it himself. I think I'd, oh, I don't know what I would do, which I think that's a reoccurring theme in the story of why I like it, too, is just the resilience of the human spirit to survive. Well, and
0: that's the thing. Yeah, I'm like, there are so many things. I can speculate what I would do in that you situation. Know there's I no idea. way I could know without being in that situation. But I feel like there's a story is going to be a lot of, I would do this. I have no fucking idea what I would do. I'll
1: ho- hopefully we'll never be in this situation. Right,
0: hopefully. But part of me is like, well, maybe it's good to think about it in case I find myself in that situation. It's good to be prepared. Was- I would give the co-pilot his gun and let him do it himself. All right. If his arms didn't work, that'd be tough. I don't know what call I would make at that point. <laughs> I'd have to walk away. Like, yeah, no, I don't know how how I would handle that. I don't either. I don't know if I could shoot. Maybe I could smother him. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I don't know. So no your I'm option for this, uh, you know, continue your own story. Uh, you turn to page 73 if you would shoot him yourself. Oh, my God. You turn to page 76 if oh you would smother him. Um, yeah, Choose I don't. your own sad venture. Oh, mm. <laughs> What was that move? That not movie. What was that book? Most people had to read in middle school. That was basically Hatchet. Is that what it's called? Basically about the kid who gets stuck out in the woods in the wilderness on his own and has to survive. Oh, I didn't have.
0: I do know what you're talking about. I believe it is called Hatchet. I didn't have to read Hatchet. I had to read Night by Ellie Weissell. Oh, I read that on my own. I don't know
1: what's wrong with me. Let's keep talking about these people who died in a plane crash. Uh, So when the crash happened, 33 immediate, you know, were still alive, although many of those were seriously or critically injured uh, Mm -hmm. with wounds, including broken legs. Duh. Uh, Search and rescue service was notified within the hour that the flight was missing. So within the hour they knew that the flight was missing. Four planes searched that afternoon until dark. The news of the missing flight reached the media, uh, Uruguayan media, about 6 p.m. that evening, and officers of the Chilean search and rescue team listened to the radio transmissions and concluded the aircraft had come down in one of the most remote and inaccessible areas of the Andes.
2: Oh, my God.
1: On the second day, 11 aircraft from Argentina, Chile, Uruguay searched for the downed flight, The search area included their location, and a few aircraft flew near the crash site. The survivors tried to use lipstick recovered from the luggage to write an SOS on the roof roof of the aircraft, but they quit after realizing they lacked enough lipstick to make letters visible from the air. They saw three aircraft fly overhead but were unable to attract their attention, and none of the aircraft spotted the white fuselage against the white snow. The harsh conditions gave searchers little hope they would find anyone alive, and search efforts were canceled after eight days. Oh, my
2: God.
1: On October 21st, after searching a total of 142 hours and 30 minutes, the searchers concluded there was no hope and terminated the search they hoped to find the bodies in the spring when the snow melted. Oh
2: my god.
1: So, yeah. here's another kicker oh and I was god. also reading when I was doing research on this. Yep, so they flew over them, they just couldn't see yeah. them. They were so buried in the snow, the wreckage, it was white on white. Also, apparently if they had just known to go a certain direction, they were maybe only about 5 or so miles from like um clear like a hotel. Like I th- I want to say it a- was an abandoned hotel, but something that would have provided them more shelter. shelter. Yep. It's a kicker. So um, the survivors had found, this happens over multiple days, this little piece of information, but they had found a small transistor radio on the aircraft, and one of them, who was good with this kind of stuff, fashioned a very long antenna so that it would work. Uh, and on the 11th day, he heard the news that the search for them had been canceled. Oh, <laughs> So they now. <laughs> I'm like,
0: you got. Oh my God. I can't even describe my reaction right now. I look like that Mr. Krabs meme. <laughs> I'm like, I am like, my
1: swirling, She's grasping like, o- for like arms
0: in the air. I don't even know how to handle this information. So, not
1: only do they know that they're out there, they're stuck, they're stranded, they're hungry, but now they know that no one is looking for them no anymore. No is looking for them, yeah. right so now we're gonna get in so that happened on day 11 so they were out there for 11 days with a little bit of hope but here's what happened first week on so at this point um the passengers removed broken seats other debris and they fashioned a crude shelter in what was left of the aircraft the now 27 people because we lost a few uh crammed themselves into the broken fuselage in a space about eight foot by nine foot not huge Um, But to try to keep out some of the cold, they used luggage, seats, and snow to close off the open end of the fuselage. They improvised in other ways. Um, One of them was an inventor of the group. He devised a way to obtain water in freezing conditions by using sheet metal from under the seats and placing snow on it. The solar collector melted snow, which dripped into empty wine bottles. To prevent snow blindness, he improvised sunglasses using the sun visors in the pilot's cabin, wire, and a bra strap. They removed the seat covers, which were partially made of wool, and used them to keep warm, and they used the seat cushions as snowshoes. So they, full survival, we got to use whatever we have at our disposal. Yep, it's crazy. So, of course, the remaining 27 faced severe difficulty surviving the nights when the temperature dropped to negative 30 degrees Celsius, which is negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit. They all had lived near the sea. Most of the team members had never even seen snow Snow, before, and none of them had experienced a high altitude. Again, they're at 11,000 feet. And they're young. And they're, yep. The survivors lacked medical supplies, cold weather clothing, equipment, food, and only three of them had sunglasses to actually help prevent snow blindness. Um, so the the survivors obviously had extremely little food. Uh, they had eight chocolate bars, a tin of mussels, three small jars of jam, a tin of almonds, a few dates, candies, dried plums, and several bottles of wine. During the days following the crash, they divided this into very small amounts to make their meager supply last as long as possible. Uh, one survivor, who actually ends up being um, one of the ones who gets them help in the end, made a single chocolate covered peanut last three days. Three days. One, One chocolate covered peanut. peanut. Even with the strict rationing, their food stock dwindled quickly. Oh, um sure. there was no natural vegetation or animals on the Nothing. glacier no, or nearby point. covered mountain. Uh like you're right, the food ran out after a week. And
0: the group I was like, there's no way it could have lasted longer than that. There's yep. no way. I'm surprised they made it last that long.
1: I know. That many of them? Oh, my God. 27. And, I mean, some of them were, like, sick and injured, but still. Oh, and the group tried to eat parts of the airplane, like the cotton, inside the seats and leather. Oh, no. But, of course, they got sicker from Six. eating that. Yeah. Uh. Facing starvation and death, knowing that the search had been called off now, the remaining survivors mutually agreed that if they died, the others could use their bodies for sustenance. So... The group survived by collectively deciding to eat flesh from the bodies of their dead comrades. This decision was not taken lightly. I'm sure. I was like, Sarah, even if you gave me permission, I don't know if I could eat you. I don't think I... Most of the dead were classmates, close friends, or relatives. Um, One person used broken glass from the aircraft windshield as a cutting tool. And he set the example by swallowing the first matchstick... Sized strip of frozen flesh. Several others did the same later on. The next day, more survivors ate the meat offered them, but a few refused or could not keep it down. They consumed the bodies of the pilot and co pilot first because they didn't know them. They would dry the meat in the sun, which made it a little more palatable. They were initially so revolted by the experience that they could only eat skin, muscle, and fat. But when the supply of flesh was diminished, they also ate hearts, lungs, and even brains. They knew that without rescue, their time was limited. On the afternoon of October 29th, an avalanche cascaded down on the survivors as they slept in the fuselage, filling the broken rear and killing eight people.
2: Oh my god.
1: The avalanche completely buried the fuselage. So now they're buried. They soon realized they were running out of air. Um, I'm mean, gonna this one guy, Parado, is his last name. He's gonna be he's the one who made the peanut last three days. Um, he's he's kinda single handedly saves everyone. I was gonna say he's the fucking boss. He is. So um <clears throat> he found a metal pole from the luggage racks on the floor and was able to poke a hole in the fuselage roof, providing ventilation. yeah. With considerable difficulty, it, on the morning of October 31st, like 14. they dug a tunnel from the cockpit to the surface, only to encounter a furious blizzard that left them no choice but to stay inside. For three more days, the remaining survivors were trapped in the extremely cramped space within the fuselage with about three foot three inches headroom, buried alive under several feet of snow with the corpses of their friends. With no other choice, on the third day, they resorted to eating the flesh of their newly dead friends. November 15th and 18th. They crashed October 12th. Two more survivors were lost, dying from gangrene due to infected woods. I hope they didn't eat them. I feel like that wouldn't be good for you. Uh, On December 11th, day 60, another survivor died. This one from starvation, as he couldn't stomach the idea of eating human flesh, and he died weighing only 55 pounds. Those left knew that they would inevitably die if they didn't find help. It was apparent now that the only way out was to climb over the mountains to the west. Um, they did have one expedition to the east that was failed. Uh, it led them to the back end of the plane um, and a radio but they were unable to finally get the radio it fixed. Legit, yeah. yeah, I was like, that's a whole nother section of the story I decided to not include because, unfortunately, it was a dead end. Um, but they did, you know, go out to the east, found the back end of the plane, had one night where the guys who went and found it, like, found... There was food in the back end of the plane, I think like a bottle of rum and some comic books. And they were like, we had one nice night where we built a fire and stayed up and drank rum and read comic books. Oh, my God. And we found a radio and we were like, we're going to find battery or like we're going to get batteries to the park. They had the
0: hope of using the radio.
1: And it, they couldn't get it to work. So, um, <laughs> they... so fucking happy. <laughs> So now they decided they had to go over the mountains to the west. They also realized that unless they found a way to survive the freezing temperature of the nights, a trek was impossible. Yeah. So the survivors who had found the tail of the plane had came up with the idea to use insulation from that section, copper wire and waterproof fabric that covered the air conditioning of the plane to fashion a sleeping bag. On December 12th, three men set out to climb the mountain in search of help. After nine days of hiking, actually, hold on. Here's one thing. Three of them set out to climb the mountain. They got up to the top. One of them was super tired because he hadn't been eating. And the other one, Perado, climbed all the way up to the top and was like, we're on the edge of all of the, like, I'm on the top of a mountain that's on a ridge of mountains that's like a whole line of mountains. But he did see, like, a little path. So the third guy decided, well, we don't have much. I'm going to go back and, like, get some more supplies Um, so he like took a toboggan, sailed down the mountain, got back to the camp within like two hours. The two guys were left up there and they decided to keep going. Right. So set out as group of three. One of them went back. Now we're dealing with two. So after nine days of hiking, the two guys that seemed fruitless, they finally stumbled upon help. Stopping to camp at the side of a river, they spotted three men on horseback on the other side of the river. Um, ultimately the men on horseback relayed news to the army command in Chile of the remaining survivors. And the two expeditioners were finally given food and able to rest. Unbeknownst to them, they had hiked 15 miles over those 10 days. And one of them only weighed 97 pounds, which is like half of his body weight as a like grown man, as a grown fucking rugby player. (laughs) Yeah. On the afternoon of December 22nd, 1972, Two helicopters carrying search and rescue climbers finally reached the survivors, October 12th to December 22nd. That's how long they were out there. The two helicopters were able to take only half of the survivors. They departed, leaving members of the rescue team and the remaining survivors at the crash site. They slept a final night in the fuselage with four members of the search and rescue party. A second flight of helicopters arrived the following morning at daybreak. They carried the remaining survivors to hospitals in Santiago for evaluation. They were treated for a variety of conditions, including altitude sickness, dehydration, frostbite, broken bones, scurvy, and malnutrition. After 72 days, 16 of the 45 passengers made it home alive. Holy fuck. Upon being rescued, the survivors initially explained that they had eaten some cheese and other food they had carried with them and then local plants and herbs. Y'all be real, you were out you there wanna, 72 days. You but you don't want to come back home and be like we survived but we survived by we our eating all of your dead relatives who didn't make it back. You yeah. don't so so they said that that's what they had done. They planned to discuss the details of how they survived including their cannibalism in private with their families. But on December 23rd, news reports of cannibalism were published worldwide. Of course. Of course. The day after. Oh, naturally. um, Except in Uruguay. So in their home country, these reports were not published. On December 26th. That's That's nice. Right? On December 26th, the day after Christmas, two pictures of a half-eaten human leg were printed by two newspapers. On the same day, the front page of the Santiago newspaper reports that all survivors resorted to cannibalism. The survivors held a press conference on the 28th of December where they recounted the events of the past 72 days. The authorities and the victim's fathers decided to bury the remains near the crash site, uh, decided to bury the remains near the site of the crash in a common grave. 13 of the bodies were untouched. Another 15 were mostly bone. Now, again, and I didn't include this, but I'm going to talk about it, in their press conference, and one thing that they brought up a lot when they were deciding to resort to cannibalism and what they used to be like, this is why we've done this, um, is they compare it a lot to the Last Supper. Most of them are are Catholic and they compared it to the fact of uh, it would have been more of a sin for them to let themselves die as opposed to Taking what was left of them and eating the flesh of their brothers to allow themselves to live and using the sustenance they talked about Jesus's last supper like take this bread as my my bones and my body to flesh and the, yeah so that's what they used to sort of say that's why that co pilot wasn't like I'm okay my
0: gun he was like you take my gun right
1: because otherwise it's not okay right. um so ultimately all of these survivors were like pardoned by the church and the church was like no you're not going to go to hell you're okay this is we all understand why you did this um, so the 16 survivors to this day remain very close they have a reunion each year that includes their families uh, many of them have published books and been portrayed in film and television and then Perado, one of the two that basically was like the badass of all of them released a book 34 years later um, and i'm just going to read like a small excerpt from his book on his view of the public reaction to them coming back and he said in fact our survival had become a matter of national pride our ordeal was being celebrated as a glorious adventure I didn't know how to explain to them that there was no glory in those mountains it was all ugliness and fear and desperation and the obscenity of watching so many innocent people die I was also shaken by the sensationalism with which many in the press covered the matter of what we had eaten to survive as Roberto had argued on the mountain, they told the world that the sin would have been to allow ourselves to die. More satisfying for me was the fact that many of the parents of the boys who died had publicly expressed their support for us, telling the world they understood and accepted what we had done to survive. Despite these gestures, however, many news reports focused on the matter of our diet in reckless and exploitive ways. That's so awful. Right. Um. So that's the story of the uruguayan air flight 571 where 45 people went in and only 16 survived and they ate 15 of their passengers, their friends family and a pilot and co-pilot
2: adios meow
1: Ugh, right <laughs> this a lot okay, see say? i had never i i guess maybe i i've heard about like People getting stuck in the mountains and having to eat each other, but I had never actually heard this story. I, yeah, I was like, I remember
0: hearing about you said it was in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. I remember hearing that there's like this famous plane crash with a sports team that ate yeah. each other. Like, yeah. I couldn't remember where it was or when it happened, but I knew that that was a thing. Well, this is it. But I feel like there are multiple stories of plane crashes where people ate each other, but that's oh, yeah. like the most famous one because it was like the most. People that got eaten. And, like, it was such a long time.
1: God, 72 days. The, I
0: think the – it's hard to pick a most heartbreaking start. part of that story because a lot of it is heartbreaking. To me, like, the – I think, like, the worst part was, like, them hearing the news. They're like, we got this radio working. And the radio's like, and we've given up looking for these people because they're probably dead. The search <laughs> is over. And you're like,
1: I guess I should kill myself now. Like. <laughs> oh my But it's a sin, so... I just... Yeah, That also the thing that got me is, yeah, they really had no... Their hope was in themselves and just the resiliency and the strength of the human spirit. no one
0: was looking for them, was going to come looking for them. No, they they knew it. And they knew it.
1: And they did what they had to do to get out. Like, I just think that that's crazy and commendable. Yeah, And
0: I... Yeah, no, I agree. I'm like, they went through some shit and, like, it's nuts. But also... I really appreciate what he said about the way it was, like, glory. He was like, there's no glory. Like, it was horrible. Yeah. It was awful what we experienced out there. There was nothing, like, heroic and beautiful about it. It was fear and terror. And and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm sorry. That's awful. Yeah. That's awful.
1: It's crazy. (sighs) So there you go,
0: guys. I mean, I guess – the ones who survived the longest got out but they have all those
1: horrible they had to they have to do live a... with
0: the things that they did which mm-hmm. they should be
1: that they didn't do i agree i'm like they should they shouldn't i'm like i'm sure that they're all traumatized exactly but, but I'm it like, also but they sounds like they're do all doing wrong. okay they
0: did what they you know what i mean they did yeah. what they had to do and they didn't choose to hurt anybody they once people went they were like all right
1: yeah all right well you said that I could do this, so I guess I'll, I'll go and do it. And some of them couldn't even do it. Some of them died from starvation. Some of them
0: died, right, because they were like, I can't eat people. And it's was like, well, you're dead now.
1: Yeah. And so. Then we'll eat you.
0: Don't worry, Juan. We'll tell the other Juan.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sarah.
1: Which Juan for dinner tonight? <laughs>
2: oh, no. Oh, oh, no. Oh,
1: no. Sarah. No. All right, guys, so that's our, those are our stories. Those are our stories. That hit me hard, man. See, I'm trying, now that I did the Diet Love Pass, I'm like, I got to keep going bigger and bigger. See, aw. makes me sad that you
0: won't. That you're like, I got to make it worse every time. I got some worse stories Aww. than this. Oh. I know. What's give me wrong more, with me? Give me? You said your favorite episode was Gettysburg Dye Museum. I know. I, I need, need right, you to tell me right. more stories of fecal forgery, I need not more, people dying right. hopeless in the mountain.
1: <laughs> well, we didn't even talk about, like, what did they do with their poop?
0: Do you know what they did with their poop?
1: I don't know. Also, my question is, were they pooping?
0: They had You know they were pooping. But they didn't
1: have anything in their systems. What were they going to poop?
0: Nothing, like, of sustenance. I mean, yeah, but like, I imagine I don't they would they were poop, pooping. like, some, like, bile you ever like throw up and there's nothing in your system? Well,
1: yeah, but that's throw up. I don't think it goes through your intestines. I will also say it was all dudes by after the avalanche that the avalanche took out the last woman. Mm. So it was all guys. So
0: they were like no starting new civilization.
1: Their tolerance for poop is I think a little higher than a woman's. Mm. Like just like we're going to have a poop corner. Right. Yeah. They should have had a poop corner from the start.
0: I'm sure they did. Can just poop wherever and now they're like poop rules are gone <laughs> <laughs> we poop wherever we want now she's dead no that's no, food cut, cut that out that's food <laughs> don't shit where you
2: eat <laughs> <laughs> oh no sarah <laughs> No <laughs>
1: What has this episode become?
0: This you're gonna cut all this out, but then you're gonna call this episode don't
1: shit where you means. <laughs> oh my god. Alright, yeah, all right. So next week you guys, if you know of any fecal ghost stories Poopy ghost stories. I'll, I'll look oh, for something girl, like that. If you don't think that
0: now I'm determined to have a poopy ghost story next week. You but I thought wrong. that's what
1: you wanted me to do. All right. Well, then I won't do a no, poopy I'm ghost just, story. No, I'm just I'm just saying <laughs> it was like, I
0: did that really heavy story. And now I do them all really heavy all the time. But I'm like, you said your favorite episode was.
1: It was. How do you not. I mean, we still quote.
2: Thank <laughs>
1: oh, my God. My brother doesn't listen to this podcast. And I could tell that story. Oh, my God. No one else would find it as funny. <laughs>
2: I think everyone,
0: it's the most relatable story you've ever told
1: me. I'm like, anyone could find
0: the humor in that. Because everybody everybody, pooped. Okay, so as
1: you guys know, if you listen to episode five, if you haven't, go back and listen to it. I think it's one of my favorite episodes. We talk about a fecal forger who somehow forged, who knows, the uh, last bowel movement of Abraham Lincoln. I mean, maybe it
0: was his poop, but also maybe there's a fecal forger on the loose. On the loose. Because that idea, I
1: like that idea only because it implies there are other... Fecal forgeries, yeah. yes, that could be the name of this episode. Anyways, um, so we made a joke about Abraham Lincoln taking a poop, and I had to tell Stephanie the story about my brother that inspired my delivery of that line. And the, <laughs> and this story is, uh, we were younger, and my brother is four years younger than me, and he's now you know grown and in the Air Force, and would hate that I'm telling this story. <laughs> And we were out on vacation, and my brother went to the bathroom, and the rest of the family was leaving. And my stepdad was like, Go knock on the door and tell your brother that we're leaving. He needs to hurry it up, like, pinch it off, let's go. And I went and knocked on the door, and I was like, Joe, we're leaving, we're going. And from inside the bathroom, I just hear my brother say, Tell them to
2: wait. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's still funny. I'm like,
0: I knew, I know the story, and it's still funny. (laughs) 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 Sweet, because like every, I'm like everyone get, everyone would laugh. If you don't laugh at that, that's your problem. You're really uptight. You really, yeah. You must be really uptight. Not you need to go poo. You Mm -hmm. obviously are not regular. Like you need to, you need a good BM, and maybe you'll appreciate that joke. Yeah. So, thank you so much for listening to Dead (laughs) Stories. This episode got a little off the rails. This is uh, episode 10. Episode 10. And I appreciate you guys listening. Please rate, review, subscribe. You want a sticker? Screenshot that rating. Screenshot that review. And um, hit us up. And, of course... As always, you can follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, and you can always email us "Deadtime
1: Stories" with a Z, all one word, at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much. Send us your emails, send us those writing reviews, and we'll send you some stickers. Thank you so much for listening, you guys that's stephanie zero without an h oh go fuck yourself <laughs> and this has been dead, dead Time Time stories
2: <laughs>
0: thanks for listening guys Deadtime stories is hosted by sarah heddens and stephanie c fernison music and editing by eric gershnow artwork by rennie slackman